0: There are a handful of movies I saw at far too early of an age. Jaws, Watership Down, and perhaps most importantly, 1982's Poltergeist. It wasn't the ghosts or the child-eating tree or even that horrible clown doll that terrified me. It was this bit of dialogue spoken by Dr. Lesh. Some people believe that when they die, there's a wonderful light as bright as the sun But it doesn't hurt to look into it. All the answers to all the questions that you ever want to know are inside that light. And when you walk to it, you become a part of it forever. It was the word forever. The idea of a beautiful nothingness that never ends. I was convinced that when I died, I would be aware of this nothingness until the end of time. This is Stupid Human Suits.
1: Suits. This is a show about the experience of experiencing being human, which is kind of a heady topic. Uh, we're going to talk about the things most people don't want to talk about, the about death, c- uncomfortable subjects that you wish you could talk about with others, but maybe you don't always get to. This is a place to talk about that, or the terror of Thinking about those things. Uh, but it's not just about death. It's also about how we perceive uh, this world in a manner limited entirely by our senses and our ability to uh, manipulate objects and our clarity of thought, all of which we can only do through the narrow cipher of our bodies and biological chemistry or our stupid human suits. Welcome to Stupid Human Suits. Yay. Yay. It,
0: it's, uh, you neglected to point out that it's going to be really fun. Yeah,
1: too. it's going to. Well, <laughs> that's why I went, yay.
0: Oh, that's right. That, that's, that's a an
1: cue any human would take. <laughs> uh all right uh this is my wife carol hartzell
0: hi i'm carol um and this is uh, my husband sean we are the hosts of stupid human suits um
1: yep we are comedy people we work in comedy
0: yeah and um we are uh, uh, old and, and feeling our, our bodies um, the, t-
1: the clock is ticking pretty much every <laughs> single day um and we're also not that smart So something we want to do on the show is invite much smarter people, and we are very fortunate today to have one of the smarter stupid human suits out there uh, (laughs) with us today. Uh, David J. Helfand is here with us. Uh, Did I pronounce that right?
2: Yes, you did. All
1: right. Uh, David J. Helfand is a faculty member at Columbia Columbia University. I can't even say words. (laughs) Columbia University. David J. Helfand is a faculty member at Columbia University. He's been there for 39 years. He served half of that time as the chair of the Department of Astronomy. Uh, He was also the president of the American Astronomical Society. He's published 200 papers. I mean, this guy's a a beast. (laughs) This guy's totally a beast. And he's uh, also the author of a book that came out in January, A Survival Guide to the Misinformation Age, uh, which you should pick up right now. David, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you for slumming it with us for a little while. (laughs) seriously.
1: I don't even understand, like, you're saying yes to this. I'm humbled.
0: (laughs) Um, Would you, uh, just as a way of introduction, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, about the book, um, just so our audience gets to know you a little
2: bit? Well, the book title arose before the current political campaign, believe it or not. Fair. But very apt. Uh, But it, I think, is an accurate description. Most people think we live in the information age. I think we live in the misinformation age. Uh, There's a reason for that. For most of human history, information was very limited, difficult to access, and expensive. Uh, You know, the medieval monk copying Aristotle by hand, mm-hmm. by candlelight, and then putting the book after a year and a half in the monastic library where no one had access to it. That's limited information, difficult to access, and expensive. But today we live in the opposite cir- circumstance. Information is virtually unlimited, but it's ubiquitous, <laughs> it's free, and it's mostly wrong. valueless. Yeah. Uh, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about... Um, uh, not a lot
1: of time but i think it's chapter maybe two chapters about uh back of the envelope uh calculations uh which scientists use uh, can you talk a little bit about that like what do you how do you how do you use that and how is that valuable in uh in modern society for two dummies
2: like us because we're being engulfed by this tsunami of misinformation it's important to develop simple tools you can use to sort of say does that make any sense at all uh and one of those is doing a rough estimate that is short enough that you can fit on the back of an envelope, which is why it's called the back of the envelope back calculation. Uh, and it allows one to say when some politician makes a claim or some person on a TV ad makes a claim. Or like Donald
0: As, J. Trump Jr. saying I, I was trying to Syrian avoid that. So <laughs> like three Skittles in a bowl.
2: Um, you can make an estimate and say, does that make any sense at all? Mm-hmm. And often the answer is no. Well, I I
1: was reading. I was reading the uh, the example of uh, that you have that you. I think you posit this to some of your students about um, how to calculate how many piano tuners there are in New York. Which I read it, and then at the end of it, I still couldn't do it. I was like, I just read this, and I'm still having trouble. How do you? Can you like, just for shits and giggles, could you walk us through uh, the basic process of how you would do one of that specific
2: calculation? Sure, that's that's not an original one. That's uh, Enrico Fermi, the great Italian oh, physicist right. yes. who uh, made up that problem. And it turns out it's very useful for my students. I think I'm crazy when I give it to them, but then it turns out that all management consulting firms <laughs> ask questions like that in interviews, <laughs> and so my students are very good at that. Uh, yeah, so how many piano? I, I don't know. Is there a million? Yeah. Well, probably not, because there's only 8.5 million people in New York, and one out of eight people you meet is not a piano tuner, right? Right. Uh, is there one? Well, there's probably more than one, because there's a lot of pianos in New York. So you just have to say, what do I know? Well, I know there's eight and a half million people in New York. Done. I know in my building only a couple people have pianos. Right. And I live in a slightly nicer building than a lot of people in New York. So maybe it's 1% of the population has pianos. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But that's still 85,000 pianos. And they say, well, how often do you get it tuned? Well, last time I had mine tuned was about eight years ago. But, you know, people that care get yeah. their pianos tuned sort of once a people year. People on and, the higher end who want it all the time. Yeah, and, you know, at Carnegie Hall, probably every week they get it tuned. Yeah. Uh, so then you say, well, gee, all right, how long does it take to tune a piano? Well, it takes a couple hours. So you could do two, three pianos a day, four pianos a day, and multiply by the number of days you work in a year. So yeah. that's 1,000 pianos. And so maybe there's 85 piano tuners because they have to tune 1,000 pianos that is and he just said it and i'm still struggling no but
0: i i i sort of get it (laughs) and i think that is the limit of my knowledge as a human being is is getting that
1: yeah the the thing that you just rattled off is as high (laughs) into the sky of science as we will ever go Um,
0: uh well thank you for that Um,
1: yeah oh that's wonderful it's refreshing
0: so all right then speaking of misinformation Mm -hmm. um kind of uh, getting to the, the the topic of this podcast something that there's a ton of misinformation or or just differing points of view about is death and mortality and 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 yeah what there's there is here. no
1: topic with more misinformation about it out there than death
0: yeah, and i you know I grew up very religious, I have different points of view ab- about it now, um but also I have just the fears and anxieties that a lot of humans have, mm. so i I spend a lot of time sort of dwelling on it, but not dwelling on it in any way that's productive so uh, that's part of i think what we're, yep. we're doing this for so one of the um first questions i'd like to ask you and I, I think we'll probably ask most people who do this is um do you remember uh when you first um learned what death was realized it would happen to you it happened to everyone you know like it, it, is that an actual memory you have
2: well i don't think one can understand what death is mm-hmm. until the moment one experiences it which is a point at which, of course, one ceases to be able to understand anything. So therefore, it's an ununderstandable. It's like a life event horizon. It's it's, it's very good. (laughs) Yeah, look at me. (laughs) Mr. Fake Science Guy. (laughs) But I do remember, and the fact that I remember it is interesting, having a very vivid memory of standing at the sink when I was probably five or six years old. We were put into the kitchen very early in my house. (laughs) And my mother was washing dishes and I was drying dishes. And I asked... What is it like to die? Now, I don't remember why I asked that, if a pet had died or if an aunt had died or something like that. I don't remember that at all. But I do remember asking that question. Maybe it just popped into my head. And my mother's response was, well, it's like going to sleep for a very long time. And I remember putting my head down on the counter (laughs) pretending I was asleep. That's great. Now, what's fascinating is that I remember that. And the fact that I remember that means that a bunch of neurons fired intensely at that time such that they produced little dendritic spines along the dendrites, such that the axons could tie them into them very tight, and those synapses made 60 years ago are still there, and I can recall that memory. Now, have I edited it? Possibly. Can I remember all the details? Obviously not, because I don't remember why I asked the question, Uh, but it's something that I remember because of the electrochemical activity of my brain. It just went right into your long-term.
0: Does that mean that you... Does it have anything to do with the emotion of of, of how you reacted to her answer, or
2: I, I can't say that I remember having an emotional reaction. As I say, I had a very practical reaction. <laughs> I put my head on the counter, like I'm pretending I'm asleep. Maybe I'm dead, you know. Um, so, I, it, but it could well have been. It mm-hmm. could well have triggered the amygdala, which is the source of fear, uh, and which which tends to rivet memories into your brain more strongly. Yeah. Donald J. Trump's favorite <laughs> organ, the amygdala. Um,
0: Sean, can, uh, I don't know I if I've ever asked you that question. What the, the same question that we just asked Dave? Do you remember when you found out what? Dad oh was? yeah,
1: we were uh, we were actually uh, standing outside the studio for a little bit, and uh, before we got in here, and we were just talking about this, um, and I, it sort of touches on uh, religion as well. But uh, you know, my dad, uh, my father was born again Christian. And uh, like real serious, hardcore, not not playing around born again Christianity. And he used to hand me these, uh, when I was like six years old, I got these, uh, I don't know if you ever saw those little Jack Chick tracts. They're little rectangles. They're little like, they seem like you get them as a kid and you're like, oh, a comic book, a little flip book. It's, and it's just about the horrors that await you in the afterlife. And it was, uh, he, my dad gave me one and it's called This Is Your Life. And it's about a man Who lived a life and he looked at girls that he wasn't married to and he was filled with sin and when he died an angel came and took his spirit and then he was judged before God because a movie plays called this is your life showing all the terrible things you did and then the angel throws him into a lake of fire and that was the first time I really like had to think about death (laughs) it was and it was through that it was through that crazy person lens of like, is everything I'm doing okay? Am I going to be all right?
0: Oh, so it was immediately connected to good yeah. and bad, right and wrong. It was like,
1: immediately, like, t- attached to an afterlife, thoughts about an afterlife, which yeah. I then, you know, a few months later was like, this is ridiculous. A lake of, why can't it be an ocean of fire? Is God, like, he couldn't put it in an ocean of fire? This is stupid.
0: Well, because I think you mentioned, like, you didn't know if maybe a pet had died or something like that. I, I, found out what sex was and what death was kind of the same way, like a neighbor's pet. Like an American should. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think a a neighborhood cat had died, and I asked about it, and um, uh, I remember my mom sort of explained, well, you know, that means that the cat is gone and will never come back and she probably used the sleep metaphor as well and then sort of casually threw in at the end of the conversation (laughs) and you know i'll die you'll die like everybody dies (laughs) and it was just one of those like kind of drive-by existential moments that children experience and don't understand yeah
1: nothing is forever
0: (laughs) oh god why not um yeah but i but it was you know i don't think it really hit me until of course lying in bed at night and pondering that oh so i'm gonna die that means i guess i'll probably be in a coffin and i'll just be trapped in this coffin and i able to get out that was what death immediately became to me uh, and, and you would have
1: so- been trapped in a coffin in alabama <laughs> It'd be I mean, very hot. yeah <laughs> uh w- w- just uh, really quickly we'll touch on this one more time the the topic how would you explain death to somebody in a compassionate manner or is there even a way
2: to do that uh, if you ask my wife, she'd say, I'm not known for my compassionate manner. But. <laughs> Doctors, of course, have these elaborate definitions, and the law even has elaborate definitions of death, but it seems to me the obvious definition, since everything you experience, remember, hope for, etc., comes from electro- electrochemical activity in your brain, it's when that activity ceases. So there will be no pain, because that pain comes from electrochemical activity in your brain. There will be no regrets because regrets come from electrochemical activity in your brain. And so when that stops, it'll just be really quiet. <laughs> but even quiet is sort of a it's the
1: absence of sound and you need to be able to perceive so even it wouldn't be that's where my, that's where I think where minds get blown, so to speak, is like Ooh, the absence of absence. Ugh.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, the idea of awareness. I, I As a kid, I couldn't process a lack of awareness i i thought death was you couldn't move it would be dark but you n- would know that that's what was happening to you and uh, i i can't remember who it was but i i saw this uh sort of comforting lecture uh on i, I didn't watch the whole lecture it was a youtube clip from a lecture because mm-hmm. i'm of this generation and uh <laughs> but uh, th- he was explaining he's like i don't uh fear or uh miss the time before i was born Um, Death is the same thing. It's not anything to be afraid of because you just won't, you won't exist. You won't be. But I think that's hard to process, especially for kids.
1: I don't think they even have the full, their brains aren't done developing. They might not even have the brain. I don't know. I'm I'm here. I'm, there's a scientist sitting, I don't know. Maybe these kids don't have the uh, brain structure. I mean, you know, I'm a brain expert. I went to brain school.
2: Well, you know what happens to your brain when you're young? You have more connections than you have now. Oh. And the first sort of 20 years of life is <laughs> pruning connections.
1: Oh. No, No, but it's good, it's good. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, yay!
2: This
1: is good then, I'm and, happy.
2: And we do know, so we used to think that you were born with the number of neurons you have and you never get more neurons and you'd knock them off occasionally by some things you do. Yeah. Uh, and then they just die, and yeah, beer, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but we now know that's not true, and we know that's not true for a very interesting reason. There's there's one part of the brain, the, the uh, hippocampus, which is where it's essential for forming memories, where new cells are being generated all the time. And the reason we know that is because of the nuclear bomb tests in the 1950s. Because the nuclear bomb tests in the 1950s generated a lot of radioactive carbon in the atmosphere, and it's been slowly decaying away ever since. And But when it's in the atmosphere, it's in the water. When it's in the water, it's in the plants. When it's in the plants, it's in you. And so by charting the amount of carbon-14 in the DNA in the nuclei of the neurons of the brain, you can show that most neurons most parts of the brain don't have neurogenesis going on that is you don't make new neurons as you live but the hippocampus where you form memories and do lots of other oh. things does have about 1400 neurons per day being added to your brain what now the bad news is that you're losing about 1800 a day uh, so it's still going downhill losing but. bad okay but it's, <laughs> but it's like treading water with some weights right
1: you're not quite drowning for a while that's good so is that like uh, is that like when they inject uh, radioactive iodine into a bloodstream to track something to track a tumor, say? Or
2: yeah, it's sort of different, but
1: <laughs> so yes, no, Sean, it is exactly no. the same. You heard it here on science.
2: Um, they're both radioactive.
1: They're both. Yeah, we got. I got yeah. that right. I, I would totally pass. Um, th- so there's a there's a section we do. We're going to be doing on a, almost every show, uh, and it's called uh, this week in falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week we just want to talk about like. We're trapped in these stupid human suits. Our bodies are constantly failing us in one way or another, mm-hmm. um, and so we just want to see. David, is there a way? How is your Maybe body we should, failing? We you? should
0: go first, you know, just kind of put ourselves out there. Okay, we're, that's don't, don't put it on You him. know
1: what? Stop judging me. <laughs> Stop telling me what to do. I know we're married, but this is
0: <laughs> shut up.
1: Dirty laundry. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, how's your body failing you, Carol?
0: Um, this week, it is uh, my l- knees and ankles constantly crack when Ooh. I walk. Um and I'm forty one. I'm I'm I say that proudly. I'm often told as a woman uh in the entertainment business yeah. to lie about my
1: age and I refuse to do it. You did it wrong you'd do it wrong, you'd be like, I'm sixty-seven. <laughs> no, sweetie, no, don't. Is she immortal?
0: But uh in the uh the office I work in, um where there are just oh so many young people. Um <laughs> Uh, we ha- we are on three floors, and they don't let you take the elevator to the top floor. You have to take it to the bottom and then walk up the steps to the others because the idea is that you'll cross people on the stairs and have meaningful conversations. No, um, you won't it's happened it's 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 once or twice but what happens to me is i walk up these two flights of stairs and in a very open air echoey area and so the cracking is just insane oh, yeah. and it's you know
1: i've heard your bones crack
0: yeah it's embarrassing yeah um, you
1: so you like you're like a skeleton horse yeah. on a floor like that <laughs> Just so call. you
0: know, I you know I dress like a teenager, wearing stupid <laughs> T-shirts and, and jeans. But yeah, you're wearing
1: a T-shirt from Pacific Rim <laughs> right now, the the hit movie.
0: But uh, I sound like a you know an 80 year old woman walking up the steps, so it's very sad. Tell for Tell people everybody. you're 80
1: from now on. I will. Like uh, for me, it was just uh, I my memory's going, and uh, we just watched the movie Contact, <laughs> based on the Carl Sagan book. And I tried to there's a sweet moment where uh, the an alien intelligence in David Morse's body, who's Jodie Foster's dad is talking to her and trying to like calm her down about you know how long it's going to take for humanity to become part of this galactic society and uh he says uh he goes uh small moves Ellie small moves ellie and i carol was stressed out the other day so i was trying to tell her i tried to use that quote to calm her down about all this work she had to do and uh i get quotes wrong all the time but this was just the worst i was like i think i said uh uh tiny steps carol (laughs) <laughs> tiny steps, Ellie. Tiny steps, Ellie. Like, no,
0: no, it's, that's not tiny. it at all. And uh, then you try it again.
1: Yeah, eventually, like I got it so wrong. It's like I just. I, it was I, it
0: baby just, moves, and then it baby moves, up.
1: and then tiny babies, Ellie. Tiny, <laughs> tiny babies, Ellie. Yeah, that's not a
2: contact. <laughs> that's not a contact. How about you, David? Anything going wrong this week? Oh, not this week. Uh, <laughs> I've had both hips replaced with titanium uh, ceramic cyborg.
1: implants,
2: and they work much better now. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Is that just for support? Like, what
1: when they replace your hip? Are they like to think? How do they reattach the muscles? How does it work?
2: Oh, you have to do a lot of exercises, but it's pretty interesting what they do. I mean, I was in the operating room the second time, and uh, you know they have this chainsaw basically that they cut off the bone with. (laughs) And uh, but someone had stolen the battery pack for the (laughs) chainsaw, and they got you know there's like ten people in the operating room. God damn it! Someone stole it. Like, we're going to go steal one from another one go go steal one from operating room 3 <laughs> all right this is going to be fun but
1: oh my god so somebody couldn't get their operation done just yeah. a chain of chainsaws <laughs> being stolen
0: i actually um so i have uh, um i have metal rods in my back I had scoliosis as a kid and uh, they they did the uh, the brace for about a year improved a little bit and then got worse again so they eventually did the um, what they call spinal fusion with rods so I'm always excited when I find out other people have metal in their bodies um, do you, you set off metal detectors? It's
2: real pain in airports yeah Yeah, yeah. They, I think they
0: uh, they don't do it unless they they do the wand on me and then they assume it's my bra clasp and let me
1: go about my way but um, I'm gonna use that yeah. no sorry officer it's my bra clasp <laughs> oh okay just go just go I Please just thought go. of that it's a good idea yeah yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, also since uh, we're lucky enough to have uh, a bona fide scientist with us, uh, I wanted to ask uh, some questions about uh, astronomy, astronomical objects, and uh, one in particular, um, uh, black holes are, see- are seemingly these unstoppable behemoths, but uh, there's supposedly a way that black holes can sort of die through Hawking radiation, right? Can you just Explain, explain as if to a child, <laughs> what, how that works, because there's something like virtual particles, and it, 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 you get into the quantum foam or something,
2: and all in thirty <sighs> seconds or less. Take your, <laughs> take your sweet time. <laughs> So this doesn't happen to the kind of black holes we actually see in the universe. And you might say, how do you see a black hole? But that's another story. Uh, Those are big black holes. Those are black holes with the mass of the sun, or 10 times the mass of the sun, or in some cases, a billion times the mass of the sun. And they are not going anywhere for the entire age of the universe. But if there were little tiny black holes, little tiny black holes can indeed evaporate. And they do so because the space between us right now Mm -hmm. is full of these virtual particles which always come in pairs, matter, pair, matter particles and antiparticles. You have to have both. You never can make matter, make antimatter. you got to make one of each. Mm. And if, and so these are spontaneously popping into existence and disappearing. From
1: nowhere, and we don't understand how or why?
2: Well, I mean, they, don't, they don't violate. They, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. Uh,
0: I think I know the answer to this one. <laughs> Cowbones.
2: Cowbones. <laughs> They don't violate any conservation of energy laws or anything because it's really quick, but they pop into and out of existence. And so we don't notice them. It's But if one of these pairs of particles happened to pop into existence right at the event horizon of a black hole, then by definition, one would be on one side of the event horizon and one would be on the other side of the event horizon. And the one that falls in is an antimatter particle. And the one that goes out is a matter particle. And that particle appears in the universe. That energy and mass have to come from somewhere. It comes from the black hole. So the black hole just lost a little mass in this enterprise. And if this goes on for billions of years, eventually the black hole shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. First it fits in your pocket, you know, then it fits inside a thimble (laughs) and fits through the needle of the eye of a needle and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually it can go poof in a burst of gamma rays as these virtual particles.
1: And it could only be like a a super tiny black hole. The supermassive black holes, it would take longer than the age of the universe to... Longer than a trillion times the age of the universe. Well, I think that brings me to the next sort of question I wanted to ask you. Uh, it's it's about one of the one of the things we have trouble with, the most trouble with in our stupid human suits, is the the various concepts of scale, going to the very small or the very large. How do you, impo- like, as a scientist, as an astronomer in particular, who deals with things on a cosmic scale, and numbers so large, they're just they're just ridiculous. How do you do you are you able to slip into the mindset of dealing with the cosmic scale or the the super micro scale uh easily or is it something you have to like work your mind into and how do you teach your students how to
2: get into that mindset well the mindset requires numbers but you teach it with analogies so for example in the beginning of my syllabus for this semester when i'm teaching a course called earth moon and planets which oh, I've a, heard of those. Which is about our solar system. Good. That's very good. You've heard about our solar system. <laughs> Did God
1: create yes! those?
2: <laughs> and our solar system's pretty big. I mean, it's a couple billion miles to Pluto, right? It's it's, it's big. Um, but in terms of the universe, I said that if New York City were the universe, then the part we're going to study is a little square on the top of my desk that's one three hundredth of the width of a human hair on a side. That's our solar system that's billions of miles across. Oof. So analogies. Like Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But
1: I mean, but even with like a, uh, like a, uh, it was in a Cosmos. No, did, 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 I know you don't have a uh, TV. Do you, I, I don't have a TV. You don't know. have a TV. You, but, so the answer is no.
0: <laughs> By the way, uh, David will never hear this podcast. He doesn't have a TV
2: or a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, living off the grid, but you, not. Are you
0: on the internet?
2: I have a computer. Yeah, you I have, I have a, a computer, computer, so.
0: um uh, okay, so great. So maybe you will hear the podcast. First.
2: Yeah,
1: so I, I guess it's a, just a follow up. like, So, you know, in in uh, Cosmos, Neil deGrasse Tyson does the, you know, uh, the age of the universe in, uh, you know, in a, I forget if it's a calendrical year or just a month, but uh, that's part of it. He also takes a, it's, he's in the spaceship of the mind and he it starts on Earth and goes, you know, uh, uh, Pulls back, pulls back, pulls back until you're seeing not just the galaxies, the local cluster of galaxies, super cluster of galaxies, the cluster that that's in until you're in the visible, known visible universe, 14 billion light years away. The Midwest. <gasps> flyover universes. <laughs> Those flyover universes are so boring. I mean, that is so vast. Is it even a knowable thing?
2: Oh, sure, because we can measure light that's traveled for indeed 13.79 billion years in perfectly straight lines through space and just happens to land on our telescopes and gets collected and gets analyzed. When you walk outside today, there'll be about a thousand trillion photons from that moment that land on your head every second. (laughs) So we can collect those photons, <laughs> and we can analyze them, and we can say exactly what the universe looked like when it was only 379,000 years old, which may sound old to you, may make you feel old, but 379,000 years out of 13.79 billion years is not very much time yeah. at all. And we, that's the last point we can see in the universe mm. in principle, not in practice, but in principle, because that's the moment that the first atoms formed. And so that's the moment that light could first stream freely to us from the Big Bang. We can infer what went on before mm-hmm. that, but we can't directly see what went on before that because light was not traveling in a straight line before that.
1: And are, those are all those
2: galaxies and, uh, are, is it redshifted when they're going further away? Moving away is redshifted, yeah. You know, standing by the side of a highway, truck goes
1: Nee-oh!
2: Yeah. Right? So the well, the low part is when it's going away from you, the when it's coming towards you.
1: Blue, so blue, so uh,
2: blue coming towards you? That's higher frequency, visual do, Doppler, higher Doppler frequency.
1: I always get the spectrum wrong. I
0: really mm-hmm. appreciate these analogies. They think, really, think of a guitar <laughs> string. Helpful.
1: When
2: you make it twice as long, it's an octave lower, not an yeah, th- octave uh, higher, right? No,
0: that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, kind of um, following up on this idea of scale, um, I think uh, certainly an issue that comes up to me, and I think comes up with a lot of people, and you know, maybe why we. Search to ascribe these other meanings to why we're here and our mortality I- is this idea of insignificance in the face of this vastness. Um, how, I don't know if this is even an issue for you, but uh, um, like, how do you deal with, um, I, I guess, sort of assigning a certain level of importance to your own life when you're aware of the scale of the universe and how tiny we are yeah do you uh, walk
1: around knowing all this stuff uh, uh, knowing all this stuff all these numbers with all these numbers do you walk around with an a, a constant awareness of the scale of the universe and feel totally insignificant or is that
2: not how it works I do feel totally insignificant. I don't just feel it. I know I'm totally insignificant. I always end my first lecture in my class about this scale like Neil did in the Cosmos series and say, and so it's time to go out and celebrate your insignificance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm gonna we should go to bed every night or wake up every morning. Hey honey, you wanna celebrate your insignificance? Fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah, (laughs) let's celebrate some insignificance with some
0: insignificant beers. Um well, all right, so embracing that insignificance yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> kind of getting back to my little, my God, JAPE, uh, before, um, is is there anything that you admire or value um, uh, about people who, who have religious beliefs or believe in the paranormal or, or, or believe in these things that give them a sense of, hey, there's something after this. I don't have to really worry too much about dying because that's just i'm leaping over the wall and into the next yard
2: the next yard you know but the next yard at least in western religions is supposed to be forever right mm-hmm. doesn't that sound boring to you it does it yeah. Does <laughs> not <laughs> no. so good um i respect try to at least people who have these beliefs but they are beliefs see what our minds try to do is find meaning That's the primitive parts of our mind. The more advanced parts of our mind try to find understanding. Meaning and understanding are very different. So, you know, if you seek meaning in things, then you have to say, why did it feel like this when I got up in the morning? You know, why am I doing this tomorrow? Why am I living my life in the way I'm living it? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. And so there is no why. Uh, but if you want to understand why you're doing this, well, because you were born in Alabama and you were raised by these people. and you in the, uh, So, that, you know, there's this chain of events that has led to this particular wiring of your brain today, which is different than it was yesterday and will be different than it is tomorrow and gives you the sensation of being you today here doing a podcast. Oh. Yeah. Yay! But it has no significance. Damn
1: it! it. I thought we achieved some sense, guys. Please subscribe to our podcast. It's very significant and important. Uh, Was there a moment uh, in your childhood where you sort of realized that uh, this a lot of religious beliefs were
2: sort of silly beans? Well, the stories are just stories, and so you know, there's Aesop's fables, and there's Mm. the New Testament, and there's the Old Testament, and there's the Quran and there's all these different stories, and we you know we, we we have lived for the last we you know we've been around 150 200 thousand years as modern Homo sapiens, mm. and for 98 percent of that time we've been living in small 30 person hunter gatherer groups, and with no writing, and so the only way to communicate is through stories. You up? And the, sto- <laughs> <laughs> the first story. You up? And the stories. Uh, try to make sense out of the world. So, you know, why is there thunder? Well, because God's pissed off or maybe the angels are just bowling or whatever. But, you know, yeah. Something, and then God really gets pissed off then he throws lightning boats down on the earth and the rain comes pouring down. So that's a, that's a reasonable story until you understand electric discharges and air pressure and stuff like that something
1: outside of nature has to make nature move
2: because you don't understand nature right but as soon as you understand nature then you have an understanding and you don't need to impart meaning to it anymore it's just you understand how something works so
0: i think you just explained the republican party to me (laughs) and that they want there to be meaning and everything but zero understanding is that unfair Fair.
2: I think it's unfair to tar the entire Republican Party with their sure. candidate for president. but
0: yeah, that, This is true. This, so we could just tar him.
2: But was there,
1: was there like, you know, was there a, you know, were you in church and it, just an alarm bell went off and you were
2: like, this is nonsense. I got to go. Yeah, it was, I I wasn't, I wasn't in church. I was, I was the president of my church fellowship, you know, so Ooh. I was really a political Scandal. leader yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh it was the Battle of Jericho. Remember the Battle of Jericho? I don't yeah. know if you remember. Oh yeah, Is so that the right, one you know, with, the, uh, the with the trumpets? The right? trumpets, right? And I'm thinking, okay, so trumpets make sound waves, and sound waves go through the earth. How many trumpets would you have to have to knock down a big, thick stone wall, Like, and it's you know, billions, trillions, whatever? way more than there were people to play the trumpets at that time so therefore this doesn't make any sense
0: do you have the envelope out at this point as you're working
2: (laughs) yeah yeah it's a tiny little kid envelope
0: i had a um because obviously i went to sunday school and uh, i had a moment like that um but specifically related to the topic of dying uh my sunday school teacher was sort of explaining what heaven would be like and um she she had this theory, and I don't know, uh, uh, probably because I didn't follow up because I disliked the idea so much, but I think she just pulled it out of her ass. I don't think it even came out of the Bible. But what um, she said that when I died and went to heaven, I wouldn't know any of my friends or family, we would all just be spirits. So you wouldn't recognize them as your friends or family. And I I recall that as the first moment where I was like, hold up. I don't know if I'm, you know, on What's board with this. What's the value
1: of the afterlife?
0: Yeah, well, it, and a couple of things happened in that moment. One, I thought, well, this is bullshit. This wasn't what I pr- was promised. I probably didn't think bullshit. I was a very, very good kid. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also kind of realized that my belief system was entirely based on this kind of get out of jail free card. Um, I wanted to believe that after I died, there would be this place where me and my family and friends would all be and we would live forever. And, I, you know, it's a long time, but we play basketball or something. Um, so, the one, that idea of this sort of familial thing that could go with you was now mm. wiped away. But also, I... I was trying so hard to believe just because I wanted that. And i that's when it started to fall apart for me because I realized my own motivations in yeah. what I was going to church Looking for and, for and trying to, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Looking for meaning in all the wrong places.
0: Yeah. I still kept going to church camp though because you, a lot of make, make out sessions and stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, that was good. Stuff. Stop talking about church <laughs> kissing. It's gross. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, we got to wrap it up. Before we go, we want to leave you guys on a little bit of a happier note. Uh, so we have a section called Don't Worry About It. Don't Worry it. About Don't It. Don't Worry About It, which is where we want to leave you thinking about something happy, where we talk about something that made us forget about death this week or recently and the fact that we're all going to die. Carol, <laughs> was there something that wasn't horrific for you recently?
0: Um, I had a really great bowl of pasta. I you that know counts? like wasn't doing carbs but this one day I just mm-hmm. I, I did it up and uh I kind of felt okay about things for a while after that. <laughs>
1: hey, this bowl of pasta is significant.
0: Yeah. You know, you got to treat yourself yeah, sometimes. Pasta
1: How about you David <laughs> anything that sort of drew your mind away from our insignificance for a bit?
2: Well, I I I revel in our insignificance. So I don't I Yeah, don't try I to shouldn't have said that. myself from that. And and I don't think about death. In fact, I, I, I fly a lot I fly uh, no I never think about it are that. you serious well, I, well i'll tell you why because I fly a lot right I just just actually passed my four thousandth takeoff and landing uh there's been an equal number fortunately of takeoffs and landings wow. uh, but as a consequence <laughs> as a consequence I have a lot of airplane crash dreams you know, mm-hmm. I'm an airplane that's, yeah and I never die in those dreams what because how would I know the airplane crash and live you know yeah that's true
1: uh, well, even your dreams are logical <laughs> it's like well I this couldn't have happened, so let's get up. Let's have some coffee. You're like the
0: Sully of dreaming
1: about <laughs> airplane crashes. He landed all of his own planes. <laughs> you bastard. What about you? What? Uh, just uh, We have a little terrier dog named uh, Fenny Fenchurch for short, named after uh, one of the characters in the Hitchhiker's Guidebooks, um, the little girl who figured out how to save the world right as it was blown up.
2: Um
1: <laughs> And uh, I was rolling around on uh, a tennis ball on my shoulder when it was on the floor because it was uh, all sore. And uh, Fenny just came over. Uh, I thought at first just to be, like, to comfort me, but she was just trying to get the tennis ball. And she does this thing with her one of her paws. We call it Thunder Paw. And she just puts it on your shoulder to let you know it's time to play. And she just kept doing it while I was rolling on this. I just started cackling him on the floor, like, Fenny, stop. And she just, you tell her to stop, she does it more. and. My back actually felt a little bit better after that, and I played with my dog, and it was okay.
0: Yeah, That's so nice. Well, um, David J. Helfand, thank you so much for being here. I think we're going to – it won't work, but we'll endeavor to be more like you and not worry about things so much and uh, maybe try to be smarter. I don't know.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know, being (laughs) smarter sounds good on paper, like on the back of the envelope or something. Sounds great. Let's go, Red Sox.
0: Oh, you should make sure to pick up a copy of uh, David's book.
1: Yeah, uh, please gra- grab it on. Uh, I I have it on my Kindle. You can go get the hard copy, whatever you want. But uh, it's a great read.
0: A survival guide to the misinformation age. Mm-hmm. Um, very valuable for the time period we are Seriously. currently living through. Oh my God! And uh, do you want to um, do you want to close with our? Uh, our secular prayer we made up yeah uh,
1: David <laughs> you're, you're welcome to read along with us if you'd like to read uh, we have a uh, copies. yeah this is
0: uh, I'll share mine with you so uh, yeah we uh, we want to end on a positive note but a uh, a realistic one in some ways so um, we're gonna give our secular this a whirl. Prayer. a Right. Um,
1: <clears throat> you ready yeah our, our, our fellow, fellow humans who are here and, here and now, here and now hallowed be, be thy, thy consciousness, consciousness. Thy kingdom kingdom floats in a universe so vast, it's like totally bananas, man. (laughs) Therefore, be kind to each other, for for thou art all thou have. And And don't don't eat so much bread. When you do, make sure sure it's whole grain, grain, it's it's better for you. And ask forgiveness forgiveness of your trespasses, and forgive those those who trespass against against you. you. I'm already messing it up. Because (laughs) of all of us can be be really really fucking annoying from from time to time. For for thou art the mind inside
2: thine stupid human suit.
0: The only only one of its mm, kind, kind, right right here,
2: right right now. We are thus also, and
0: and that that must simply
2: be
1: be enough. Enough. Amen. Amen. Lovely. Guys, this has been the first episode of Stupid Human Suits. Thanks for listening. Bye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.